You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, it's day one. What, is the, what does that mean? I, 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 I understand that our guest has never been to Canada before, and um, uh, it's his day one in Canada. So well, he's getting the full Canadian experience. It's the day after, uh, hopefully, one of our last blasts of winter, but... We'll usually get one more going into March and April. Well, well I always had a friend said that uh, March is a bitch, so uh, <laughs> it always has one more in it for us. April does too sometimes, but March for sure. So our guest is uh, Gabrielle Fassan from, uh, and we're going to be doing some Italian wine. I put the call out saying that Italy is a blind spot in my wine knowledge, and uh, the call has been answered. So hopefully I'll learn something today. Yeah. Wouldn't that be lovely? Andre learning something. And Gabriel, you're from uh, Viticoltori Ponte. Yeah, Viticoltori Ponte. And uh, okay, we call it easily Ponte. And, uh, I just, sorry, I just, I know that I'm going to get messages from people listening to this reminding me how bad my Italian is. And I guess it's kind of funny. You're actually nicer to me than I am to you. Because I always rip on you for your French, pronunci- French pronunciations. I know, and that was like beyond bad. I'm I'm sorry to be an embarrassment. No, to your no, language. Uh, no problem at all. I mean, uh, what can I say with my English? So, I mean, oh, your English is so much better than much Italian. better than both of our Italian, actually. So I, I we have a company profile uh, in front of us, and it says, "Hey, I love the sound of that." Uh, Ponte, uh, 1948. Is that the name of the company completely, or is it just Ponte? I mean, technically, the the name of the the company is Viticoltori Ponte. Viticoltori means, um, I mean, uh, wine producer. Okay. Um, and Ponte comes from the village where where the winery is located, and also where where it's founded. Uh, and 1948 is the age of uh, of the foundation. Is the year of the foundation. Good. So the name of the town is Bridge. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because right. um, the village is called Ponte di Piave, which means Piave is an iconic river yeah. uh, for for the Italians. It's a river linked to the First World War. Is one of the. Is we can say it was the last big win of the Italian against uh, the Ocean. And, and so the iconic, so the village is Ponte di Piave, and we keep a Ponte as a, as the bridge, and uh, and also as as a message. I mean, to, to, we can use as bridge for an Italian to the to Canada to talk about wines. Oh. Bridge from, I mean, from people that doesn't know about wines, and and um, as I said, it was founded in '48. Uh, it's uh, originally is a cooperative. I mean, the, the the mother company is a cooperative, and uh, born exactly after the war. Uh, you know, twelve growers sit together to to help each other, and from there it's growing in in the years. Um, just to give you a geographical idea, we are really close to we are between Treviso and Venice in northeast uh, of Italy. But Venice, that everybody knows, it's. 30 minutes by car. Oh, very nice. Okay. All right. And then uh, now, as I said, we have a little uh, we have a little sheet in front of us. Yeah, there's a lot of in. detailed notes. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. So you have uh, 3,000 hectares of vineyards yeah. that fall underneath the, uh, the the umbrella of Ponte? Correct. I mean, could, consider it's an interesting thing, the cooperative, how it works. I mean, the system of the cooperatives. Um, the growers uh, sort of sign a sort of contract with, uh, with the winery. Uh, for life, 
for man, life, for life, forever, forever, forever. As long yeah. as the winemaker is, uh, as long as that particular signee is um, alive, or forever, forever, forever for from the, the owner of of the, see, the, the growers. Then, then the second generation can decide it to renew. The agreement or oh, not? Got okay. it. Okay. Okay. So, so just to understand. Like, sound, the, I, I thought the it way, sounded very mob-like for a moment. Well, no, I but, I, but here's the thing: it's like just understand the contract. What that means, though, is that you're making an agreement with the grower to buy their grapes. I know, the agreement what. is in two sides. I mean, okay. they are obliged to okay. give us all the grapes they cultivated, and we are obliged to take care of all the grapes. Okay. Okay. Thinks uh, the cooperative. The, uh, thinks to the social idea at the beginning was to help the growers to have an um, um, a, how do you say in English a secure income correct a place to a place to sell their grapes all the time so that you know so good they, they or, can save the family and, and they, they provide everything to the family and now now when you make these contracts with the growers because I know just having visited a lot of other cooperatives a question that comes up is with the quality and the quality of the fruit is there anything in the contract that you're working with the growers to make sure that they're producing fruit of good quality and not just the obligation to buy and sell now uh, yes i mean there is a sort there is an agreement and consider the most important agreement which really it's important for the growers is that if they bring to us a better quality grape they are paid more okay, okay great so glera grape same uh, same but with more uh, more quality inside so more bubble more more uh, aroma they are paid in a different way compared to a flat uh, or a basic product. Got it. So oh. they are stimulated from this point of view. Uh, what we do, we have an agronomist, I mean, a team of agronomists that they taking care of all the growers, suggesting what to do, when to do, the treatment to do, and everything. But technically, it's human being. Money makes the difference. Money, makes, Money the makes the world go around. Yeah. And, um, but... And this is the agreement, okay, the original agreement. Then, you know, when you started to work together, they understand that if the result of the winery, uh, the result of the winery is positive for everybody, there is, they are paid also more yearly. So it's, it's really a partnership from this point of view. Yeah, that's great. That makes sense. We're watching our, our wine opener uh, go through her first day of wine opening. Oh, my so god! very interesting. Very, very lovely. <laughs> So we have in front of us, there's, I see five bottles of Prosecco in our glass right now. Which one are we starting with? We're starting with um, the, the Prosecco DOC Treviso Extra Dry, which is our top seller. And uh, it's uh, 100% Glera grape. Okay. And uh, second maturation, I mean... Uh, the bubbles comes from the Sherman method or Martinotti method, as you prefer. So the fermentation happens in autoclaves. And um, it takes 60 days. It's, um, yeah, it's for, for us, it's our iconic product. And it says here in the book, uh, top seller. Top seller. Okay. So. This is uh, like quite aromatic on the nose. Like it's it's very, very... And um, I'm drinking it out of a flute. <laughs> that makes me happy. I'm indifferent to it. It's how it was. It was served for me. This is really good. That's nice. Yeah, it's actually a lot drier than I expected. Dry, but there's also like a very nice intensity to it. Yeah, 
Like it's uh, it's quite concentrated for flavors. Yeah, but um, it's um, it's the big, I think it's a big advantage that we have um, um, the control of the grapes that arrive in, in September during the harvest. This is a big advantage because we can select it, um, the benches that goes. To, to make this kind of wine or benches that goes to make a, a generic spark and everything. So we try always uh, um, to have a little bit more concentrated. We are talking about Prosecco, so easy going wine and everything, but he has a proper dignity and it's nice to show it. So you were talking about various growers and things like that. I knew co-ops in, uh, in South Africa, let's say, who um, who... Uh, let me just try to word this. Now I'm going to go into an Andre spiel here, I think. Do it. Do so, it. Uh, what, one of the things that they would do is when a grower would bring them really exceptional fruit, that exceptional fruit would go into a single bottling. Do you have that kind of... Uh, yes, oh, we, we are going, for example, we are going to taste uh, the, um, the orange label, which is the Milismato Prosecco Doc. This is, uh, we can say, not single vineyards, but it's, it's the best Glera grapes that we receive goes to make this, this product. And it's vinified and everything separately from the, the rest of, of and, uh, and is that usually from a single grower that you know is going to be really good, or is it like... It changes every year? It depends. It changes every year. We we are lucky to have, I mean, 3,000 hectares is a, a big piece of land divided yes. between the Treviso and Venice province. And we are lucky to have, we, we, we are lucky that we can choose, the winemaker can choose. One year, the, the best benches can, can come from Venice, so close to the seaside. One year, it's better what we comes from the hill or closer to the river for the, so... It's, it, it depends. It's, there's no selected uh, growers where we catch the, the grapes for for these wines. And what are the elevations that these 300 hectares run through? Ah, we move from uh, zero, I mean sea level, up to 300 is uh, is um, is the highest, and on the hill of uh, Conegliano Valdebiano, it's on the area of the DOCG. But the main is flatland. So I'm assuming that's 300 meters, not 300 feet. Yeah, 300 meters. Yeah. Just checking. <laughs> what? No, Why are you looking at me? I'm just pointing at you. Okay. I know the difference between meters and feet, Michael. No, no, but I'm just saying for anybody listening in the States, it's not feet. Ah, okay. okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and from, yeah. and, um, but the, the main the main part comes from uh, from the flat. I mean, we are more DOC area, so in the, in the flat area. I know it really seems like um, Prosecco is kind of having its day in the market. But I think it's also having its day with a lot of people who don't necessarily know a lot about wine. Um, like I know virtually every drag bar has bottomless mimosas when you go for go for brunch these days. Is there? Um, Did you say drag bar? Yeah, like drag sorry drag queen brunches. Like okay. uh, you know, I, I no, just, no, I, I heard that right then. Yeah, okay. you, you definitely heard it. I right. I just made sure my, my ears weren't full of wax. But I mean, like bottomless mimosas are just like becoming sort of part of the brunch culture these days, and it's just like I think every restaurant in the GTA is looking for that affordable bottle. When you have like a good bottle where the quality is good and the concentration is there, and it's a little bit more, pardon me, a little bit more cerebral in how you want to talk about it. How do you stand out in the market, and how do you let consumers know that? You know, even though Prosecco is very affordable, it's also a serious wine made with care and attention to detail. 
Oh, that's a nice question. And um, I mean, considering that, um, I mean, the, the big step is uh, the, the big step is exactly to let them know that uh, Prosecco is a real <laughs> wine with a, a longer culture and, uh, and, and production uh, uh, history. But um, I think at the moment, the main issue is to highlight which is the producer. Not, I mean, now, honestly speaking, it's difficult to find somebody who doesn't know where Prosecco is. Uh, okay, probably where it comes from. But uh, and it's, so, it's so well known right now that uh, it's, the, the main problem for, for a winery is to because the consumer normally asks for a Prosecco, not a for Prosecco from, some, from a specific winery. And would, it doesn't happen with the other wines. I mean, for Amarone, you know, for example, an Amarone or yeah. Brunello, you know already, you're connected already with some wineries. On the Prosecco, is so big and exploded so, so fast that, okay, it's the category, I want a Prosecco. I don't care about who is the producer. And this is what we are working in. Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 always a, a challenge. Like the marketing for a product where especially the price difference in price point is quite narrow is a challenge. Like it hurts my heart when I see Bottega flying off the shelf because of the gold bottle. And like, don't get me wrong, it's it's okay. But, you know, Michael and I, you and I did the Toronto Life tasting in the fall. And we had, what, three, four, five different Proseccos that were all significantly better in quality than Bottega. And I'm not crapping on Bottega the way I crap on, on Yellowtail. Like I said, it's not a bad product, but there are better products at better price points on the market. So it's got to be a real challenge from the marketing standpoint to really stick out. And then a second one to make consumers who are just looking for that value bottle stop and understand what makes the product better. And I um, I would have to say that uh, I think the problem with, with you know, Prosecco is the, is the brand. And then you've, and Italy has done a great job in creating that brand, that demand, kind of the same way Pinot Grigio has become that that brand, that and nobody really, you know, except for Santa Margarita, which has, you know, really made their their name on it. Um, you know, nobody people just see Pinot Grigio and they'll just pick up whatever they want. And it and it's unfortunately become a sad state of affairs, not knowing uh which prosecco you want, who the producers are. Um, and I think you have to be in a, in a way that like, like Andre said, we tasted a bunch of Prosecco and that made us go, Oh, this one's really good. That one's okay. Uh, and unless you try a bunch of Prosecco, you're just buying any, any Prosecco. Um, now one of the things I learned from say, uh, from Valdoca was that they put a, a year on every one of their bottles that comes into the, to the LCBO. I did not know that uh, that they vintage dated Prosecco. I always thought it was an, a non-vintage product, but they made a, a claim uh, that, and they showed you where it was, that there's a vintage date. Are yours vintage dated as well, or is there certain ones that you vintage date, or do you not vintage date your Prosecco? Um, it depends. I mean, when, when you have uh, the millesimato, I mean, the word millesimato on the label, you are obliged to put, uh, put the vintage. And you're jumping and ahead. I can see the next one is millesimato. Yeah, the next one like is... You, you jump, we, should, we should talk about what's in our glass right now. And yeah, then we no, no, but I wanted, I'm, I'm going with the... Uh, we're going with a general Prosecco 
uh, questioning here. Yeah, but it makes sense to follow the narrative. And then, the way and then we're we talking will, we about will it. We get and there then, when we get there. Okay, you we, know what? Let's let's uh, put a pause on the Melissa model because it is the next one, and let's talk yeah. about the one that's in our are, glass are, right now. But, but <laughs> wait a second. I think he is in the middle of an answer here. So the Melissa <laughs> has a year. No, I, the answer was um, the answer was to completely debate what you say also from uh, regarding Bottega or the. Uh, different and thousands of labels of Prosecco on the market. Uh, what is for me, really, as a, as a producer, as a grower, is to see a lot of Prosecco with international brands that have no, really, they cannot have any authenticity or they are buying Prosecco. I have a couple of examples. I don't want, I mean, I'm, I'm fair with my colleagues. I don't want to burn, but I mean, if you think, I mean, uh, a fresh and uh, Prosecco or uh, even a Rufino Prosecco, which is Rufino is a Tuscany winery. And it's nice. I mean, it makes sense to have an assortment also the Prosecco. From there, to see that there is um, also from the LSBO or, or the other uh, customers uh, communicated as authentic. Well, yes, it's authentic because the grape comes from there. But in terms of... Um, uh, of knowledge and history, and uh, it's uh, it's a pity for for my growers. That's so tell us about so so we we're only I'm I'm going by color of label here, Andre. Because, yeah, this is uh, yeah. the black one. So the first one was the blue label we had, or the um, uh, the blue so the blue label. We yep. call Ottanio in Italian, Ottanio blue blue Ottanio. I don't know the navy blue. Term. No, it's yeah, not a navy. That's more of a um, uh, royal blue. Like not a teal. It's uh, no, it's not teal. It's it maybe a royal blue. Yeah, I, I don't know the English royal, name. but it's it's one of my favorite colors of blue. I had you know what the funny part is. I almost wore my uh, my my Carhartt hoodie of that color uh, here today. And then okay. we but then we would have all debated it. Actually, it's the kind of blue that uh, is on your um, your big flower on your on your on your coat. Gotcha. So I think, I think seen, everyone who's followed me on social media has seen this jacket. So, <laughs> so next, next we're into the forest green. Exactly. And, and what is this one? What makes this one different than the blue? This is hundred percent organic. Okay. 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 Is is uh, also glera only? I mean, not blended. It's just glera, but it's hundred percent bio. It's got a stronger like bread bread note to it. Um, it's a little bit more austere than the the. Blue label Prosecco for sure, but like still has nice balance, a little bit of sweetness on the palate. Fruit is definitely more, more up straight front. up orchard, yeah. straight up orchard, and a little bit less floral. Like I like the apple and a little bit of sour apples of apple. Yeah, a little sour apple on the finish, would like make green, like the green Jolly Rancher apple. Something of that nature. I would have gone. Yeah, that. yeah. Sure. And I mean the fact that there's a little bit of sweetness to it, like it's really like it's a confected green, a confected sour apple. And I say that like in a in a nice way, like in a this good would way. Be, yeah, this would be great with bacon at brunch. So bio is a big thing in uh, in Italy. I just got back from uh, from Tuscany, and uh, organic and uh, and bio wines. Uh, it sounds wrong to say bio wines, but I mean it's bio, not bio. Um, uh, but it seems to be very big in Italy these days. Lord, the, the organic phenomenon in the food is uh, really uh, huge. Huge. I mean, now the the people really, if they have to choose, they are also open to to spend more money for the same apple if it's organic or bio. Well, I mean, often with food, I, I know for the most part it does make like a difference. Like one thing when I'm shopping for spices and herbs, like if I buy ginger, yeah, uh, you know the organic ginger always looks a little bit smaller and thinner. But when you get a home and chop it up, it's just like with 
grapes. They're smaller, they're more concentrated. The flavor is just much better. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, but also, um, also on the grape, you, you feel really the difference if you eat the grape, and also if you see the vineyards. I mean, um, the, the the vines are bigger, heavier because they have to fight uh, alone against the the nature, and um, and also in, in the juice you have uh, it's uh, it's completely different taste. What is not reflected on on the mark on the sales of the wines is that for the food the people it's really focused on on the bio they pay more on the wine this step it doesn't happen properly yet. Um, that's why the market of the bio of the organic wine now the moment we can say in Europe is around between five and six percent of the total, uh, which if you compare to the vegetables it's more around thirty. 35%. So it's still, there is a lot of, of space uh, to, is, for growing. But, but I is guess it, the, the question is, and it's it's posed all the time, is not wine being an organic product to begin with? Isn't it or, mostly organic? I'm just playing devil's advocate. Well, here. I mean, the organic comes, I mean, that's the question I was going to have. Like the organic certification comes from the farming, right? And it's really something that I've been a little bit critical of in general, just the greenwashing that takes place living in Ontario, the challenges that we face growing grapes organically here because we have humidity to deal with disease pressure de- depending on the vintage. And there are certain places where definitely it makes sense, but I don't talk into really great growers in um, really great growers in France, for example, that are not certified organic, but they don't want to put a bunch of stuff in their vineyard. But to get that certification, it then becomes a marketing thing. Like I think Malivore used to be organic as an example and then had a choice to either lose a crop or use lose their certification and opted for the latter so they could continue to make money i guess the question i have is like is it more expensive to grow organically or like what are we seeing and what are you hearing from the growers with the shift like is it is it a marketing decision or is it um a decision where you're actually getting better fruit Uh, look uh, the decision was taken some some years ago to move all all the wineries to uh, more sustainability um, program and project. So also all the treatment we, we already canceled since years, all the chemicals, uh, pesticide and everything. But some of the growers decided to, to be organic, which is even more strictly the rules on the field, just for, for their philosophy. And in, from, from our side, from the winery side, you know, we have a big production wine of conventional wine. Why not to make a product? certified uh, organic it's more I mean yeah you can say also a marketing choice but we have the 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 grapes so why not and consider that the organic wine means that is the grape is organic okay so the procedure internal of the wine so what is certified is the grape okay um, that's why technically is Wine comes from organic grape. Okay, then we we use organic wine, but this is a fine. Uh, Do you find difference. the quality the quality of organic wines, the bio wines, to be better than comparable wines non bio? At the moment, I think there's no absolutely no difference. Okay, fifteen years ago was completely different. The organic was really awful. Okay, okay, I would really, agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah, really awful because. You know, the big issue with organic is that, I mean, at least things, uh, I mean, 
for for a, a big winery you can manage, but for a small farmer, um, if you don't have the, the you cannot con, you cannot protect the, the chemical the the grape. Um, you can have an harvest, a disaster harvest if, if yeah. the weather is a disaster. But you have to sell something to, to maintain your family. So in the bottle, some vintages could be really disaster, but I have to sell it. Now the problem is no more like that because also the technology, the way to approach also on, on the cultivation is, is different. But so I don't see any difference. The big advantage is also, is only that naturally, and if you can make, a, a chemical analysis on the wine, you can feel that the, the, the quantity of chemical is almost zero. So I have, I have a, an interesting question. So we're talking about, you know, organic or, or bio. Yeah. Um, is there a difference within Italy uh, for, and I'm, you know, I ask you because you are now the representative of Italy for yeah, us. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, is there a difference between organic versus sustainable? Yep. Or there is a difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There is a difference. So, because you know, sometimes I think it's it's almost used interchangeably. Some people say they're organic and yet they're just sustainable. Uh, Andre, I don't know if you'd agree with me on on that point, uh, but um, and I and I think we see a lot more sustainable vineyards here in Ontario than we do uh, organic. Yeah, it, well, but I think that's also, like I said, the conversation is it really depends on the climate, right? Like you and I have talked a lot about um, biodynamic farming, you know, and I've visited biodynamic farms in California where they look verdant and fantastic, but they're also using drip irrigation in their biodynamic vineyards. So you have questions about how sustainable that could be. Where, like I said, in Ontario here, um, people who are, are going to extremes to be dogmatic about their farming also have their own challenges to face with. And often those vineyards are not healthy. I don't want to mention any. No, I think they look, they look, they look terrible come August. They, you know, they're, so we need, maybe we need to have a conversation about what sustainable means and whether or not at this point, organic and bio is just purely for marketing. And the challenge of growing grapes is, is tomatoes. When normally when it's organic is also sustainable. Correct. Normally. But you can be sustainable without but being organic. But not organic. Got yeah, okay. that's, that, that's why I'm saying that the, the winery of Soponte is sustainability all under percent of all the production, all the wines, but only some are organic. Okay. okay. Because <laughs> I feel like we're good, just confusing the, the listeners now with. No, okay. With all yeah, of we are going to, to be technical. But, yeah. but uh, I mean, if it's organic, you have both, we can say. And when you're saying organic, you're not talking biodynamic. You're no, just talking organic. No, biodynamic is completely another story. Yeah, I just mentioned biodynamic just, just as a form of like the dogmatic farming because the thing is like with organics, you, really you can often, dogmatic. and that's it. But and even that, with organic, like you have the set rules to follow. And if you have a challenging vintage where a certain pest shows up or a certain fungus shows up or a certain disease enters the vineyard, you can't do anything unless you're following the set rules, which can be a challenge. And even then, you have different questions about what sustainability means. So, sorry, this Melissa Mato, which uh, vintage is this from? So, this is the orange label. So, just just so we know here, and it's the Melissa Mato. So, yes. which is which the vintage is? Uh, I think uh, the twenty one. Okay, so the twenty twenty one. Yeah, the twenty twenty one. The twenty twenty two is going to be bottled the first week of March. Got it. And uh, uh, Andre, what did you think of the uh, of this wine here? Um, I actually found it 
pretty close to the previous to the Bio one. Like it, it uh-huh. is a little bit drier than the original Prosecco. A lot of orchard fruit, uh, still like quite austere, like more austere than the first one, and still like I don't know. It's a, it's a really nice Prosecco. I, what what's the what's the vintage on it though? Twenty twenty one. But there is a big difference here. We have a fifteen percent of Chardonnay inside. It's oh. not hundred oh. percent glare. It's Interesting. I, you think I, you think Captain Chardonnay would have picked up on that? I uh, I picked up this one to be full on fruit, like just full on orchard fruit. Where the other one did have orchard fruit. That to me, this one was just screaming apple. And then there's a little bit of lemon that kind of slips in right at the end here that gives it a really lovely finish. All right. I, what, what were the, the what were I the really growing like conditions like in 2021? Because that's a big thing about wines that you're putting a vintage on it. Like doing an assemblage, like in Champagne, it's about creating a consistent product. If you're going to put a vintage on the bottle is you want your wine to be expressive of the vintage. Tell me about 2021. Um, yes. I mean, uh, consider one thing from, from the millesimato point of view from uh, in Italy with the Prosecco, we use normally the millesimato words not as the champagne. I mean, yes, it's the vintage, but um, we use just to show that in this vintage, uh, or the millesimato Prosecco normally has a higher quality than the standard without the, the vintage on it. It's uh, it's not we produce every year uh, just uh, uh, to let you understand. Uh, in any case, twenty twenty one was um, was uh, can I say was an, an okay uh, vintage, uh, not the super sexy one, but um, but uh, uh, but uh, was uh, thanks also to the. In, in this case, it's really helpful the Chardonnay because give us. The chance to have a little bit more structure, I mean, to, to, a little bit more body. Is this something it. you? Is this something you add into the Melisimato every year? Every or, year, every year. So you do yeah. put the Chardonnay. And the Chardonnay comes from a, 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 this Chardonnay comes from a single vineyard that is cultivated only to do this these wines. Also, the yeast that we use in the fermentation, they ferment it separately. We blend only in the bottling, mm. and uh, and the Chardonnay we use dedicated yeast just for for this product. And then, since since we you know we do have five proseccos that that we're gonna do, four of them are are of the white variety, and then we're gonna talk about something else after this. Oh, what could it possibly be? Oh, shockingly. Um, <laughs> we should, you know, really quickly go into... So there's another label here, which is the gray label. Yeah. And what, uh, I what, had a visceral response to this. I wanted to dive like right into the tasting note. Like, um, I'm actually surprised at how different this is from the, the other three. It's drier. Uh, it's got a little bit more intensity. It's got the floral. It's got a lot of bread, but it's also got a really strong mineral note that I'm not picking up from the the other three. Like this is one where like it is it is serious. Uh, and then I looked up and saw that it was the the Superiore uh, Valdobbia Deni. Did I say that Correct. right? Did I do it right? No, no. 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 The accent is Valdobbia Deni. I give up <laughs> as you should. And. Uh, um, here, exactly. It's uh, also, I mean, regarding the, the grapes, also here is 100% glera, so 100% prosecco, and uh, it's the OCG Corneliano Valdobiane. It's dry also because it's brut, so it's less, uh, we have a couple of grams of sugar less than than almost the other three that uh, we've okay. tasted. And comes from the hill, so microclimate is different, more concentrated, less production per hectare, so it's more intense, no. And I see in the in the material. So when this hits the market, or if I were to order a case of this from you, it'd be twenty four ninety five a bottle. 
in and around there. I, 25, yeah. I, I would drink this every day for twenty five yeah, bucks. That's that yeah. is a lovely bottle of um, of uh, prosecco. How long does that one take to to make? You said the other ones are about sixty days. Yeah, we are close to ninety days, to three months. Days. Yeah. yeah, so there's yeah, a little this, more, this, this longer. Would, this than. does not belong in a mimosa. Let's put it no, that way. No, I think the maybe the the blue. You can do the green. If you really wanted to push it, the orange one could go into that. Frankly, I wouldn't want to put any of these in the mimosa because even going back to the blue, like the intensity of that is like, like I said, like it was easy to take a shot at Bottega, but because Bottega is twenty four dollars, but it is easily a superior product. I should be cool to taste that in a lineup with some of the other ones that we tasted at Christmas to see where it stands. I really like that gray label. It's uh, it really is uh, an absolutely lovely bottle of uh, of prosecco. So, uh, so uh, good on you for that one. And then we're going to get on to uh, something that's that's just relatively new uh, within the market. Yeah, and I, I don't think it got the um, the media attention that it, it deserved. I think this is why I asked about the marketing of, of Prosecco. Is like, I think Prosecco is just sort of like one of those things that people don't give the respect it deserves. So maybe you can tell us, first of all, if as Andre said, oh, what could it be? It is a rosé, which is a relatively new thing in the Prosecco market. And my understanding is that you and your company were the ones who made the changes. Uh, or you invented it. it. For the- I, that's, I, can, I cannot say that. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, the consortium will kill me. But, no, I mean, the consortium <laughs> has to find you. Yeah, well, yeah, they, 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 that's they, not they, hard to do. It's not like he's living in Canada. But they, they so. know perfectly where, where I live. They know perfectly where I live. <laughs> they, come, they come by to get some rosé prosecco from him. That's all what right, they all do. Right, well, let's talk about. Let's talk about. So uh, when did it come? When did yeah. it come into I mean, the market? The, the uh, what did you rose, have to do to get this 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 brought into the market? Officially, or? prosecco rosé. The first vintage was uh, 2018. Uh, before this was was forbidden to produce. I mean, to label it as prosecco rosé. And it was really, I mean, we, we, we say that we invented, but it's not true. We were the first in 2007, and this is the consortium is certified. But in 2007, we were the first to make a blend between Glera and Pinot Noir in sparkling version. So, or Pinot Nero, we normally say that. Um, and then we, it takes a little bit long time to, to have the, the final confirmation because some growers or some winers doesn't want it, uh, cannibalize the, the normal one and, uh, which is not true. We have three years of sales that testify that uh, is not true. It's an, ad, an additional product. Also because in terms of taste, it's a different, it's not a pink process. Prosecco, if I can say, it's yeah. really a different product. It's more drier. It's more you feel. Uh, I mean, the Pinot Nero inside technically is eighty-five percent of Glera and fifteen percent of uh, Pinot Nero, and is has to be always millesimato. So you have to put the vintage always. This is twenty-one. So uh, why go this direction with with rosé, like? Uh, Prosecco, Glera, like there's in Prosecco Superiore, they have a very long history as a as a product, and I mean it's great to see that consorzios and, and and regions are making changes to change with the times, make things easier for people to make money. But Pinot Noir is not an easy grape to grow, no matter where you grow it. So what, why 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 go this direction? Look, um, there's one historical, one technical things um, answer. 
One historical Pinot Nero in northeast of in um, eastern Veneto was always cultivated, unknown from abroad. I mean, con- the consumption was only in the area, but historically we have always we had always vineyards of Pinot Nero. One that is the technical points because we can use. I mean, the the question is which red grapes we can use instead of Pinot Nero. To make the Pinot, the Prosecco Rosé, we have alternative with uh, Merlot Cab, international grape, not serious if you make Prosecco, um, produced in the area. Or the other was Raboso. I don't know if you are familiar. Really native grape, autochthon grape, but too tannic, too colored. I mean, too tannic, especially to use to 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 make a, a nice Prosecco Rosé, which has to be nice, smooth. That, I, I don't know if I answered it to you. No, you, you did. Like it's. Uh, I'm, I'm almost just like curious about like like where the inspiration comes from. But like telling me that you've always had Pinot Noir planted, and that was for local consumption. Like I think it's cool that you're growing this to be able to share it with an international market. It's just sharing more of the original identity of Prosecco. Exactly. I mean, it was it was linked for this. I mean, the, the two choice was Pinot Noir or or Raboso, but Raboso technically. It's, it's impossible to use. So if Michael and I show up at the at the winery, will we find some of your growers making red Pinot Noir, like secretly, clandestinely in their cellars? Oh, look, uh, as a winery, as Ponte, we had uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the catalog, in the Sorme, we had a Pinot Nero red version till uh, since five, six years ago. Wait, years where ago. is it? Is it here? No, no, okay, we don't do hell? anymore. We don't do anymore. Now you put, now you put, it, in, now you put it into the I mean, rosé. No, the, no, no, because who buys internationally? Who comes to buy Pinot Noir in Treviso? Finally, somebody who who figures it out. Like I, what, I've always been saying, why would you go to Italy and buy Chardonnay, Pinot Noir? Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me in uh, in a hundred years. Why with so many? Different. Okay, and but you said in a hundred years. Let's talk to Sazakaya. Let's talk to Ornolaya. They're, Those t- are they're doing cabs. They're doing cabs, Merlots, but they're mixing them with Sangiovese. Those are super. I Tuscans. understand that, but you're still you're bringing in the international groups. You said not within a hundred years. The thing is, there's a way you have to put it into the the marketing, and I, I respect the marketing decision to stay away from it. But if you know what you're doing and you really want to bet the farm on it, it's a risk. And for the Tuscans, yeah, it's I, a risk that's paid off. Correct. But I don't think it's something you do uh, up and down the country is everybody has to grow Pinot Noir. Everybody no, has I get to that. I get that. But if, if they already have Pinot Noir in yeah, the region, why not, why not find a way to market it and bring it out because, there? Because, I mean, or is we, it just not we have very to, good? Yeah, exactly. We, okay. have to, we have to be honest with ourselves. I mean, uh, if you are bottling a Pinot, a Pinot Noir in our area, it's coming – you have a competition around the world, and you can say honestly, "Oh, they do better." And so, why, why? That's why, in our area, if you think prosecco and pinot grigio explode. So now we are um, moving into still wine, um, and uh, you know, uh, first of all, Gabriel, I'd love to tell you that. There is not one of those Proseccos that I would kick out of bed for eating crackers. So um, they are absolutely uh, wonderful products. And God, I hope. No, it's, 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 actually, it's actually one of my favorite things about like what we do in December with Toronto Life. is Because I don't drink a ton of Prosecco. I don't either. Um, sorry. I'll probably, I promise you I'll try to drink more. 
It's just like it's just not something I think. You to, know, my wife is really expensive, so I have to sell a lot of bottles. So. <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need always yeah, every day a new consumer she's drinking is, she's drinking champagne but it's just like it's, it's one of those things though it's like I said though but I think it's a problem like I'm guilty of that market perception that we were talking about during this as Prosecco being the cheap cheerful and it's just like these are real wines so I think as a wine professional as a wine journalist I need to set a better example as to why these wines should be consumed especially considering you can buy three of the Prosecco Superior that we tasted for one bottle of if Clico in the market, and then if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the the gray label uh, was the same price as the uh, orange label, correct? A little bit higher, so twenty four ninety five or something of that nature. So um, just to I guess close off our prosecco conversation, the the vintage dated uh, versus the um, you know the hillier version, the yeah, is is a couple of bucks more uh, if they come to our market, and yet. You know, both really well worth it, and and so um, all five of them really well worth it. But I think the orange and the gray, like at twenty five bucks, which is a lot of money to ask for prosecco, is worth the money. I, I think. I and think, actually, that means more coming from you than it does from me. I think if you're looking for, um, you know, the, the the bang for the buck, and if you are not a typical prosecco drinker, and I say that, and I now I'm going to get myself in trouble here when I say typical prosecco drinker. I think most people, when they drink Prosecco, think sweet and easygoing and, you know, uh, as Andre pointed out, you know, throw it in the mimosa on a, on a Sunday morning. These are not that wine, but I think the orange and the gray uh, labels are those ones that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could probably throw that gray label into somebody's glass who usually drinks a traditional... Without saying Prosecco. Don't say Prosecco. Throw it in a glass. They'll drink it and they'll go... Wow, that's a really nice sparkling wine. Period. Well, the, the end. They won't go. Is this prosecco? The thing that's great about wines like this, though, is like one of my favorite pairings that we've talked about is steak and champagne because you get the acid to go with the fat, and you know it just cuts through everything. This adds something that most champagnes don't, which is a little bit of sweetness, which I think would go really well on the table next to a really nice piece of red meat. Yeah, but the, the nice part is, it, it, I didn't, I didn't find the the the, the gray label had that sweetness, whereas the uh, well, it had sweetness compared to compared to had that Samato had that just a touch. But I mean, compared to like a, a champagne, compared to like the Bali that we tasted, it definitely had a little bit more sweetness to Correct. that. And I think yes. that I think the sweetness would come out if you were to pair it on the table with the right meal. But I don't think it would be. A bad thing because these wines were very well balanced with great acid. All right, let's stop with the the yeah, still wines. We, could, Pino, we got a Pinot Grigio in our glass. We could we could probably sit all day and, and wax poetic yeah. about. I know, and we're we're at like the forty minute mark, and I think we have many more wines. To we taste. have like seven to go, so we're gonna rush through a little bit, I think. But the first one we have is a is a, a rosé yeah. made of Pinot Noir, not Pinot Grigio. Pinot, it's Pinot Grigio. It's Pinot Grigio on the percent, but it's the it's the rosé version. Oh, these are yeah. th- these are the wines I absolutely love, Andre. And I know that's bizarre because I'm not really a Pinot Grigio fan. Yeah, I believe the- you said on this podcast more than once it is the most boring grape on the planet. Correct. Until you put some color to it, I'm agree. Yeah, but until, but Wait, did moment- you disagree? I'm agree. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, nine Pinot Grigio on 10, it's really boring, really flat. That's really. great. Correct. It, it makes me happy to hear you say that because yeah. I was trying to throw Michael right under the bus and that but didn't I mean, work. You had some color to it. And from my understanding is, uh, now I don't know why any producer would claim this in, in 100 years. And I know I'm using that 100-year mark again. But 
uh, I just uh, I just uh, launched a, a, a Colavini um, uh, write up, and I know another winery. They both claim that they are the ones who got the color out of Pinot Grigio to make it a white wine. And I'm like, why would you even claim that? Because you've taken a really lovely wine, this this thing that because it's got gray skin, it makes a lovely pinkish or uh, or uh, as 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 they say in in Italy, romato, uh, which is copper color uh, in a wine. And they stripped it out and made it very boring. I think this is really lovely Pinot Grigio. To me. I haven't even tasted it yet, but I'm already predetermined to really like this wine because of its color somebody else talk while i taste <laughs> uh i thought it was okay i i think it it we should have tasted that before the the proseccos because the proseccos had more depth and complexity also we're tasting this on a day when it was minus 13 this morning when i shoveled the snow in front of my house and it's just hard to be in a pinot grigio frame of mind when it's cold out so i don't think the weather or the circumstance are giving this wine a fair shot. Like, it's it's good. It's not a bad wine, but it's certainly not as exciting as the other five we just tasted. But it's not as boring as a regular Pinot Grigio. Okay. And I, but, I would, but I would agree with you. I think there's a lot of factors that go into this being a better Pinot Grigio. Yeah, I mean, but I, th- I think you're correct, though. Like, the... Like, from what I've heard is the mutations on the vines, depending on the vintage, you get more of the pink color. And the best Pinot Grigios we've tasted from, and the Pinot Gris from Ontario that we've tasted, generally have that that copper hue to it. Correct. Gabrielle, over to you. Yeah. As we've now crapped all now over. That you've, yeah, and also now that you've agreed with Michael that Pinot Gris can be very boring. No, I mean, don't misunderstand me, but... Uh, um, uh, due to the Sussex, the huge Sussex of the Pinot Grigio around the world, uh, to, to be... Really, and also because it's really a product price driven. A lot of winery, you know, they they blend it uh, with to, to give some some other aromatic notes, Ooh. but you're using really fat, uh, flat, uh, flat, flat uh, Pinot Grigio start, and and you can find it in the bottle. It's, I mean, it's uh, neutral. It is. It's and it's you know what I, I believe, uh, and I don't know if we've really gone into the full reason why Pinot Grigio is so popular on the podcast. I I think that's exactly the reason why it's neutral. You yeah. no longer have to think about wine. Oh, I I think I've referred to it when I had my radio segment on the regular as wedding wine. Like it's the sort of thing that you pick up if you're serving at a large group because anyone who likes white wine can't say anything bad about it, but. You know, if you're someone who really is looking for that complexity, it's hard to find this. That being said, I saw the second wine that was just poured into our glass is also a Pinot Grigio. And I think the fact that we tasted it right after this copper one has done it some favors because this jumped out of the glass at me. Uh, here we have uh, a Pinot Grigio. Here we have a, a standard Pinot Grigio, a white Pinot Grigio, we can say. And uh, here is uh, organic. It's bio. <laughs> and... Uh, um, only one thing suggested you can find on the market amazing Pinot Grigio really not boring and really super but if we are thinking in the category uh, of the price category of the normal Pinot Grigio that you find on the shelf this it's really boring then you have some super 
sexy, extra, fantastic Pinot Grigio, yeah, but agree. in a different price point where you can use really the grape, because the grape is amazing. If you can concentrate it, cultivate a little bit less on the vineyards, you can have super wines. You get some leaves contact. But the market, the market right now is asking for this price level and to achieve this price level. Uh, if, you can, if, you, if you can put some color into it, great. If you can put a little lees contact into it, or lee, makes a lovely wine. If you can even put it into a barrel, not necessarily all three of these things, but one of these three will usually give you a Pinot Grigio that's got at least some complexity versus. Bleh. I really like the second one that we're tasting. See this one, um, it's like cantaloupe and lemon drop. I, I think this one's okay. To me, it's just okay. Um, it does. Uh, you said I think. Because you gave me the review before I tasted it, <laughs> I was like expecting woo, and um, uh, I didn't get the girl in tassels. I okay. really, I really got the uh, you know uh, lying there and taking it kind of kind of wine. So, uh, but I mean, it is like it's another thing though, where I think the fact that it was minus thirteen this morning isn't doing these wines any favors. These wines feel like they should be summer. Yeah, that's um, for sure. But um, well, Pinot Grigio is a summer wine, right? Uh, <laughs> as a salesman, how can I say? I can't answer to you. No, it's twelve right, month well, I mean, wine. Fair, it's a, a twelve month wine. So, as a salesman, though, in uh, what is it, Via Verdi? I get the feeling you probably don't see snow like you we have here very often. But look, uh, in, in in the area, no, 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 like here, no, for sure, uh, it's no normally two, three times a year. Uh, close by, but you know we have uh, in thirty kilometers we have the Dolomites, so we are so you can go skiing. The 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 question becomes: When did you did you get to Toronto? Did you come in last night? Did you come in yesterday? I came, uh, last night, uh, yeah, yesterday night. So you came, you night. came in during the storm. No, I just uh, landed before, just before the storm came in. Okay, <laughs> and then you got to your hotel and was able to watch it from the window, and you're like. Why the hell did I come here? No, oh. the, no. The, the message that I sent to my family and my friends was completely different. Because when you visit Toronto in February, you wanted to see uh. Uh, snow, cold weather. I mean, cold. Uh, I mean, that's the, this is what I mean. Really, and I'm, was, I'm flying to Toronto in February. Sometimes somebody said to me, "You're stupid. Maybe you can do it in a couple of months." No, when you arrive, you need, you want to, to see this. And were you looking for snowshoes behind the door, like so you could get around? Like <laughs> no, it was looking- a really. I'm, I'm a smoker, so it was complicated. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it was just annoying me to go outside smoking. But I made uh, some nice pictures. And, uh, at least, All right, uh, so you got that. All right, so we've got we've got we got the Chardonnay in the glass. Who brought the Chardonnay? Who the hell brought Chardonnay? But this, this is uh, this is an unoaked Chardonnay. An oak, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, in all the wines that we are going to taste is an oak because traditionally, um, in in this part of Veneto, we were really used to have only fresh wine and an oak wine. Uh, we bring you um, the Chardonnay because it's not a big sales for for us. It's not a big asset, but historically, is the the first uh, grape that we planted. Okay, or the growers planted this. So it's it's part of our DNA. Even if abroad so, we don't sell almost, yeah. and so, in Italy we sell a lot, but in abroad, I mean, as I say, the people comes from us to us for Prosecco Pinot Grigio. Yeah, but it's just to to let you know, Chardonnay is it going? I know. 
So even prior to uh, Glera, Chardonnay was what your growers had planted. Yeah, it's, no, it's a different. This is a really different. Um, these are these are different uh, vines. These are d- different um, uh, area where where the true Chardonnay comes from. So, Michael, what do you think of the an oak Chardonnay? Actually, I find it. I, I found the acidity quite nice. I found it fresh and fruity. Um, is it's obviously vintage dated. Uh, I'm going to assume so. It yeah, is it's 2021. I'm, I'm going to go with. Got it. And uh, you know what? Uh, I I find that beside usually Pinot Grigio, uh, an oak Chardonnay is the second most boring grape in the world. I'll agree with you on that. And um, this one's this one's nice. Actually, I find this one a little fruitier than the Pinot Grigio. So I'd agree with that too. Uh, I, I I found that one. I this- wanted you to say something nice about it before you accused me of saying. <laughs> Because it says it on the label, label, label. It's pleasant. It's like fifteen bucks a bottle. This is this, uh, not, there's you know what there's it's peachy. There's nothing it wrong, tastes, there's I, nothing wrong with it. I, I think it might be just like our Niagara bias coming through though, because I find the the flavor profile to be very peach, like fresh peach on it. Yeah, a little hard, a little like a hard, not juicy, but I mean it's got a hard peach note to it. Uh, I mean okay. just just on just under right, but in a good way. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it's it's you know. Um, if if somebody poured that for me, uh, stone cold, on a summer day, I I would not, you know, uh, bat an eyelash and say give me something else. I would I would happily drink that glass and probably ask for a second. You are right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just jumped ahead to the the next wine, and I can't wait for you to taste taste it. I just I don't want to say anything because I want to say something. So badly, and uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to lead you along on it. This is a <laughs> what Sauvignon Blanc. Yep, Sauvignon Blanc. Oh yes. Yeah. So I I visited the area not too long, like a few years back, Trevi- just before Trevenzi. COVID, and um, okay. Uh, yes, I remember Sauvignon Blanc being one of the one of the main varieties. Uh, of the area, so. But this is—is is this a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Trevenetti? No, no, it's no. A Sauvignon. Uh, is a Sauvignon. We are not obliged to write blank on everything. It's, there we go. So now it's just once again me exposing how little I know about Italian wines. Okay. Thanks everyone. It's a Sauvignon. <laughs> it's a Sauvignon. No, Trevenetti is only the, the appellation. It's the IGT Trevenetti. Yeah, okay, give me your note on this. Well, well, it's definitely got that grassiness right on the finish. Um, you know, it's in fact an extremely grassy finish. Um, I got fuzzy peaches on this. You're getting peaches off of everything. Yeah, but this is confected. This is like it's sweet peach. It's underneath the grassiness. It's like walking down a, a Saskatchewan hillside in like 25 degrees. You know, fresh cut hay as you're taking a walk down and you're mowing down on a bag of Maynard's fuzzy peaches. That's what this tastes but, like. But you know, right on the finish where you get that that grassiness, there's also a subtle minerality, like a saltiness. Yep. That kicks in. And um so it's kind of like that um you know, the fu- the fuzzy peaches is is coated in sugar, isn't it? But they have a sourness to the finish. Yeah, exactly. I and that's where that, that salty minerality comes in. So this rocks in at about 18 bucks a bottle, according to our materials here. And uh, I think this would be this would be a fun one to drink in the summer. Yeah. I, I think this yeah. is like a, your fish fry. 
Yeah, this is this is about seafood. About where you're going to find a, a a good a good bottle. Of, I think this. Is, um, I think the thing that sucks about a wine like this, though, is it would be a challenge to market it in a place like Ontario, where something like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc would be positioned in the market. Because I do think this is as good, if not better, than most New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Look, honestly speaking, I'm sure that we will never <laughs> sell one bottle of Sauvignon in Ontario right now, but. <laughs> yeah, no, but do you, no, but uh, I uh, give it because you're right. The, the thinking of, of the Sauvignon, the expectation is probably guided by this kind of uh, Sauvignon. Uh, I mean, the, the New Zealand one, super. Uh, I, I think I think New Zealand has redefined what Sauvignon Blanc should be. Exactly. But if you for think it's historic, well, yeah, it's it's like Chardonnay, Oak de Chardonnay. It's, it's well, it re- Oak Chardonnay was redefined by California for a long period of time, and I think it's now, thankfully, that sw- that pendulum is swinging back to more fruit, less oak. But California and Australia, let's be honest, really yeah, sure. swung it one way when they said it's got to be Chateau two by four. Uh, you know, lots of lumber and less fruit. Now, I I think, although Andre's going to try and and either prove me right or wrong, I'm not sure. You're trying to prove to me that Shadow 2x4 is gone uh, throughout this season on the podcast, where I still believe there are... No, no, they, they, they still exist, but I think the majority of the market is moving away from it. So you're going to try and prove to me through the season that... Um, that uh, Chardonnay has made us well. I think Chate- a, a I think definite Ch- turn instead. I of- think Chateau Two by Four has really become like the French language. There's, I think, the rule is that we're moving away from heavy, heavily, heavy use of oak, and I think that goes across like everything. Even in the Northern Rhone, you're seeing people move away from two twenty five liter barrels to five hundred liter yeah. barrels now. Like we're seeing industry wide people moving away from heavy oak, but like the French language, there's an exception. And then another exception, and another exception, and another exception. We'll find we'll find the exceptions, but the the norm is, I think, we're moving away from large use of oak. All right, that's why for, for the same things for the Sauvignon. Uh, if you think to the European one, I mean, I, I say consider also the price point for for uh, fifteen bucks it's, uh, plus minus. Why don't I have uh, a easy, more direct uh, Sauvignon, more more non pure is not the wrong, but uh, more, more thin, more less uh, uh, invadent. Makes sense in English. Less, ca- less, less caffeine. Less or, uh, well, I think. It, like just, but, I, but the thing I also find fascinating just the though, smell of Sauvignon, just easy. That's it, though. Is, immediately, it smelled like Sauvignon Blanc in the glass, though. But in the mouth, it didn't taste like New Zealand. It didn't taste like California. It didn't taste like Niagara. It tasted like something completely different. But even even Chile, like even Chile, you have Chilean winemakers that don't really know what they're doing. In terms of their identity, they taste either like they're trying to emulate New Zealand or trying to emulate well, California I, or emulate. Well, I find France. that that in, in especially in Chile is that it's all grassy these days. It's just like drinking yeah. blades well, of grass. We've had people in Ontario who've done that early green harvest to pump up that asparagus and cat pee, and it just it it, it doesn't taste like where it comes but from. But I'm but I'm what I'm saying is I think Chile is is gone that that way completely. Uh, it's it, it's like drinking a glass of. You know, like you steep when you steep tea, it's like they've taken grass clippings, thrown them in a glass, and then you've got, you know, chili has gone, you know, just the other side. It's almost like they've gone full circle as to what, you know, here's New Zealand, and they've gone, you know what, New Zealand, we're going to show you how grass grows. This is this is grass. So it's All right, really so annoying. We're getting down to our last few wines. 
We're in um, the reds now. We now have a Merlot in our glass. Uh, has there been any oak on this Merlot? No. Or is it stainless steel? No, no. Yeah, stainless steel. I think it's great when you can get ripe Bordeaux varieties. And organic. Organic as well. Organic. And is it, so for something like this, though, is that the um, is that the, the the main selling feature when people gravitate to this is like they're looking for an unoaked organic Merlot from from our area. I mean, it's absolutely like that. I mean, for the normal consumption, the daily consumption, it's really Michael. Unoaked. Did you like it? No, not really. No, <laughs> I took him like one sip and it's like, <laughs> not really. I actually like. I, okay. I like this is this is. Come a on, simple, you have a guest in front of you. I mean, <laughs> this, 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 this is this is like this is without Makes without sense. offense. This is another like wedding wine. This is yeah. one I'd be happy to pick up if if price was dictating yeah. my mm. buying decision. I, I don't want to. I don't want to insult our guest um, <laughs> uh, or his growers. Um, I mean, you did already say Pinot Grigio is the most boring grape on the planet. But we agreed with me. So, uh, you know, (laughs) Gabrielle and I are friends up until this moment. Um, I I, I find that I I know that it's unoaked, but uh, there's something about it that I find a little too aggressive. It's not easy drinking. Oh, I find it very easy drinking. Um, I, I just, you know. You've been drinking too much Gamay these days. I do love a good gamay. I guess really, so though. Like I drank I really a, I drank a very young Okanagan uh, Merlot last night, and that was aggressive. This, this by comparison yeah, from the Okanagan Merlot was you like find quite soft. Ag- aggressive at the end. I found a little bit aggressive. It's okay. probably the, the the tannins from the skins. Okay, um, maybe a little too much, you know, soaking, um, a little too much concentration. I, it's just again, it's one of those wines that. I believe that um, I, I do believe. No, that I love you. I love like when you're trying to be diplomatic. It looks like it hurts your head. I, I it hurts your head to find a way to, just to be nice. I do believe that there are certain regions within Italy that Merlot does really well. So in our glass now, we've got an unoaked Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Franc as well. Is that is a blend of fifteen fifty? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, of, because of you which. Know, Cab Franc, Cab Sauv. Oh, Cab Franc, Cab Sauv. Yeah, because uh, historically, um, histor- in, in our area, we are used to drink only Cabernet Franc, pure, and oak. But due to the fact that we have uh, we we have to sell also the wine uh, in in other countries, uh, we uh, we blend a little bit with the Cabernet Sauvignon. So it's mostly Lovely. Cab Franc. No, well, it's 50-50. Uh, Michael, fifty percent. Oh, sorry, fifty percent means half. And then 50 means the other half. So I fell asleep during the break <laughs> <laughs> while you guys debated something else. But, like, so, I mean, one half is Cabernet Sauvignon and the other half is Cabernet Franc. It means that it's equal parts. But I, so why would you do a 50 50 blend when Cabernet Franc was at one point your um, most. Um, I'm, I'm going to go. I, I don't have numbers here. I know they're somewhere in this booklet. Uh, was your most planted or most drunk wine. And then you had to add Cab Sauve into it to make it more international, which is unfortunate. Uh, but uh, but why would you go 50-50 instead of, let's say, you know, 70-30? Let Cab Franc shine with a little bit of... Taste it. Taste it. I did. A little bit of friendly Cab Sauve. Okay, you but know, you're saying you're this... don't, you don't agree with this blend. Um... I would like to see the Cab Franc shine a little more. I, you know me, I like Cabernet Franc. I like to see it shine, and I like to see regions uh, celebrate Cabernet Franc like we do here in Ontario. 
Um, and and so and you think that that region is the region of Prosecco? Well, I have a lot of questions suddenly about the wines that we're tasting, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to ask it in you a know, little bit. You know, I'm the one that's being being a bit of a bit of a shit. Though I mean, these are these are unoc- I think the thing is, I find when Cabernet Franc gets that like complete like full like ripety ripe ripe it loses a little bit of that green that greenness that is part of the identity and the thing is this is a very nice wine but i don't find it has a lot of the i don't think i don't think tweaking the blend would bring more of the cab franc identity i think it's great that it's marketed as just cab because it tastes like cabernet yeah consider I mean, one thing is important to understand also from from the area since uh, 30 years ago, okay, we, produ- we were used to produce 80% of red grape and 20% of white grapes, okay, as a growers. And of these 80% of the red grapes was half Merlot and half Cabernet Franc. Then exploded the Pinot Grigio issue, and all the growers moved away from the red grapes to the, to the white, to the Pinot Grigio. And what they maintain is the Merlot, mainly, because it was more profitable. And the Cabernet Franc, it's really drinked. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not experienced all over the world, but in the area, it's drink only from the people from the area. It's too green. It's too heavy. I love Cabernet Franc. I mean, I can drink only Cabernet Franc, but normally the tasting around the world, they don't ask for. So we have to find a way to sell somehow the cabinet that we have in the winery. It will be easier, probably we were wrong, to l- lose a little bit of our identity, okay, to give a more smooth cabinet and to blend with the Sauvignon. Do, do you find that you can ripen Cabernet Sauvignon well in, your, in the region? Or is it just certain areas within the region? No, but oh, it's... I, I can find some super cab. No, I cannot say officially. I work for a Veneto winery, but I'm, I'm, uh, I was born in Friuli. I live in Friuli. In Friuli, <laughs> I can find some super incredible Cabernet Sauvignon. Incredible. On the Franc side, nobody's pushing because it's, I mean, if you know what we are talking about, it's, it's pure Franc. So, so the problem that we have in Ontario is that we can ripen Cabernet Sauvignon three out of every 10 years properly, okay. yeah. which is the biggest problem that we have with Cabernet Sauvignon. And, and I think it's, you know, looking at your face and, you know, watching you contort into a pretzel trying to tell me how Cabernet Sauvignon can be found in some great areas. I could tell you the same thing. There's probably little pockets of Ontario that do Cabernet Sauvignon well every year. Where are they? That's correct. <laughs> Um, but we do Cabernet Franc well in Every good vintages, you know, bad vintages, okay vintages. But it's like any great, any great like wine region. Is, we now have our winemakers that will lean into the vintage conditions. So in a lighter year, they're forced to deal with that, and you know they lean into how to manage that. So um, that's why I was thinking, you know, if you guys make great Cabernet Franc, uh, you know, and but it's it's on the green side then your Cabernet Sauvignon is also going to be even more on the green side. So. Okay, but this cab that we're tasting is perfectly ripe and a very pure expression. So yeah, the, the, you, 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 so it's the, not the, so the, green. What's the vintage a, date on this one, though? 
21. 21. It's not 21. 21. Okay. So, um, I, you said that the other Merlot that we had was a was a wedding wine. Yep. This is the one that I would pour at uh, at, at a wedding. This I is, agree with you This on that. is easier. It's also um, it's also a little bit more interesting than the Merlot. Yeah, I, I find this one to be more fun, more frivolity, more you know. It's not uh, a Van de Gaard either. Like you wouldn't no. want to sell this at all. Like I would order a case and. Like I'd serve that if I was running a restaurant, yeah, easily by the glass with if I was yeah. if I had a pizza oven or exactly you know and was doing simple fine. pastas like this would be make, like make sure that there's a little bit of a chill on it and I and God, that yeah, would be amazing and that would be and that would be perfect so that's 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 that one and then the final wine that we had which is why we had a break um, <laughs> which nobody knows about until now uh, yeah. is is now first tell us what this one is. It's called Joe Rosso. It's it's a blend of uh, it's a Bordeaux blend, blend. So Merlot Cab, I don't tell you which Cab, and, and then Raboso. Raboso is a native grave. The Raboso here is um, we we dry a little bit the grapes. Okay, uh, we dry a little bit the grapes to give because the Raboso can works very well. Also, the pure Raboso works very well as. I mean, the dry with the passimento method. And we dry a little bit and we blend it all together. Technically, it's unoaked because, okay, the Raboso dried and passed a little bit, but it's only 10% of the wine. So the, the, Merlot, and the, Cab, the Merlot and Cab is unoaked. Well, you have, um, you, you have a lot of like vanilla and cocoa on the nose. Like I thought for sure that this was like, there, there was some oak for this, but yeah, but it's only the the dry part of the rebozo. We leave a, a little bit on on the on the oak, but it's really minimal part of of the wine. But if it's so aggressive it a, the the rebozo grapes yeah. that it, it changed the, the and it's the, only the rebozo that you dry or and, all of it. No, only only the rebozo. We dry only, only the rebozo, and the alcohol is only thirteen percent on yeah, this. Yeah, it's so it's got. I'm sure there's another consorzio that would probably come. No, yeah, no, yeah, we are completely free. Yeah, but if I said that this is, has like whispers of an Amarone, it's it's got like a little bit of that that oh. oomph on the nose and, and the it, ripeness. Is it vintage dated? I don't we know these guys. I don't know these guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, but I, I like the fact that it's it's thirteen percent alcohol, but delivering that like really great ripeness. To and it. and do we have a vintage date on this, or is this a non-vintage one? No, no it's a non-vintage. No vintage. Okay, so that brings me to my next question. After I taste this wine. Andre, let's talk about this wine first, I guess. It's nice. It's ripe. It's balanced. It doesn't burn my throat. Um, the, the price is also... I mean, we have to consider. Okay, what's the price, Mr. Salesman? No, 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 in the sense that consider on the glass. I mean, we have to think also about that. It's $16. 16 bucks a bottle, I would drink. This is... Um, I mean, like we said, the other two wines were definitely more wedding wines. There's actually some interest here. This is an interesting wine. And there is some oak on this? No, like no. a little bit on the on on the rabozo when we dry it after drying we we leave a little bit on on on, on the barrels but uh, yeah it's roughly 10% of of the so of the combination. Yeah, that one's that one's nice. There is some interest there. Um I wouldn't call it a van de garde, but I wouldn't No, uh, 100% I wouldn't, not. I, but I but on the other hand, I'm not afraid to throw that in the cellar for 5 years just to see it smooth out just touch do you I know, don't know if I mean? it really needs it though because like it, it doesn't like it has those um like those cocoa notes it's got the vanilla notes like but it's you've got, got you've, you've you've got that dried grape sensibility to it so you're probably gonna want to let that settle down you do have a little bit of that oak 
I'm going to say it's probably new to second uh, second fill third. and third. So you've, you've got a little bit of aggressiveness to that Rebozo, which you want to calm down a little bit. You won't tell us what the cab is. No. Probably, <laughs> probably Franck, probably so, depending on the year. It's Franck, it's Franck. It is Franck. Um, but I mean, uh, other than that, uh, I, I think, I think five years is your maximum in the cellar. Uh, plus it, you, you'll never know because it's not vintage dated. Um, but it's, I think that's a, a, a very, a very, uh, you know, at $16, that's, a, that's a good, good bottle of wine. Now here's my big question. You're from the Veneto. Where is the Valpolicella? Where is the uh, Where is the Amarone? Where is the Ripasso? Do you guys do those wines as no, well? No, no, look, or? no, 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 absolutely not. Uh, you have to consider that uh, there is a, a really small DOCG, okay, in our in Conegliano. It's called Malanotte. Nobody knows, uh, okay, but it's a DOCG, and the, the in the rules is Raboso dried as the Amarone, and it's an official DOCG. Nobody produced. So historically, we have a long history of Raboso dried as um, the Valpolicello, the Amarone um, uh, process. So that's why we, we do the, the Raboso in this way, because we, we are really familiar. It's a DHG, DHG Malanotte. Andre, I've always loved, uh, and I've heard of it before, Raboso. I really like the Raboso uh, wine, because I, still- I think you're a little bit of a bozo. Thanks, Michael. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to retain anything, but I feel like I've learned a lot today, and I want to thank you very much for taking the time to share these wines with us. In particular, hopefully we'll see the the Ponte uh, Proseccos on the market. Um, but if you are looking to order some of the rest of these wines, uh, I'll make sure that I put the contact for the agent in our show notes. I'm going to put your company's contact in the show notes. Lovely. Thank you. And uh, you can support uh, Two Guys Talking Wine by Patreon. That will be in the show notes. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. I can't believe you've really expanded these show notes after how many years? I learned stuff. I told you. We're trying to do things better. We're making this a serious podcast. And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Uh, you can find me on social media as The Great Guy, as Michael Pincus. I want to thank uh, Gabrielle for being with us. Uh, Ponte, uh, 1948. I want to thank my co-host. I want to thank uh, Dana Panzer. Good night. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.